And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's Tuesday as we get into the week. And of course, today is big earnings day. Microsoft and Google announcing earnings today. So again, all kind of focus is going to return back to the Mega 7, uh, as we've been talking about now for a while. But that's they're going to be the benchmarks for earnings season. So far, earnings season about, uh, about a 73% beat rate so far, but we're just kind of getting into it now. So again, it's uh, not one of the higher rates of beats that we normally have, but still pretty respectable as we have lowered the bar quite a bit for those to get over. Um, but some good news and bad news today. Good news is, of course, that hostages were released um, by Gaza in, in Gaza yesterday. So Hamas released a, a quite a few hostages. So that's good news. Bad news, uh, particularly, and in, in if you don't live in Houston, you have to understand that in Houston, we have a gentleman named uh, Mac McInvel, he goes by an, an old moniker called Mattress Mac, and he owns Gallery Furniture, and he does he he does a lot of, of great work, charity work, and donations and giveaways to help everybody from veterans to homeless, etc. Um, a real icon here in Houston, and uh, he runs he runs deals um, about every year on sporting events, whether or not. Uh, the Astros will win the World Series. And if you go to buy a mattress of $3,000 or more, or you buy furniture, $3,000 or more, whatever the promotion is, um, if you win the bet, basically you're making a bet with Mac McInvel, uh, you get your furniture for free. Uh, so he had a promotion going on for uh, the Astros to win the World Series. And unfortunately, if you bought the furniture, expecting the Astros to win the World Series and get your furniture for free, you're going to be disappointed because the Astros lost the seventh game of the ALCS yesterday. So uh, everybody was blaming Ted Cruz, by the way, because of the loss. Yeah, so apparently uh, Ted Cruz has been going to the games and he has, like, he, he has a curse on him. And every time he goes to the games, the Astros have lost. Uh, Ted Cruz fought back on X yesterday, formerly known as Twitter, um, saying that, well, if you're going to credit me for the loss, you also have to credit us for the two World Series and the seven ACL wins before that because we went to every game. So There you go. Uh, yeah. you know, but everybody, everybody looks for a reason, right? Everybody's cursed at some point, right? you gotta have, you have the, you got to wear the right socks or whatever it is. It's because Taylor Swift didn't show up. It, and because that's wrong sport. She's football. <laughs> Same you know, effect. It is really bad, Brent. Your son is a sports announcer and you know nothing about sports. <laughs> I admit it. I am a sports agnostic. How do y'all have a conversation like over Thanksgiving dinner when he wants to talk about his job? It's very one sided. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he knows more about your job than you know about his. So. Probably. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple of things, like I said, going on today. Earnings season is uh, really, uh, this is this is the week for earnings season now. You know, we had um, Tesla coming out talking about their earnings today. Like I said, Microsoft, Google. Long slate of announcements today. Um, so there is going to be, this week and next week, we're going to have about 80% of the S&P 500 actually reporting earnings. Um, so again, and then at the same time, we now have the Fed going into blackout. 
So we won't have any more Fed speakers for the rest of this week because the next Fed meeting is October 31st, November the 1st. Um, that's next week. So won't hear anything from Jerome Powell or anybody else over the next week because they're now in blackout. But stock buybacks, that window just opened back up again. So now roughly about $5 billion a day, and, and this will start to ramp up as we get into November, uh, corporations can start buying back stock, which will provide a bit of impetus uh, and support for the markets as well. So again, you've got you know the fact you won't have Jerome Powell out speaking or any of the other Fed speakers out. We won't have to worry about getting news about you know inflation, higher for longer, whatever it is. So market's going to now focus on earnings here over the next few days. And of course, the Fed meeting next week, which is on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, this morning, futures are pointing higher, and this was kind of good news. Yesterday, uh, we saw the market open down yesterday morning and then rallied back intraday and then kind of faded to flat by the end of the day. So did have some good bit of buying yesterday, which again, this is you know kind of what we're looking for here because the markets have been very weak uh, over the course of the last several trading days. Uh, you know, interest rates were moving higher. Big reversal on that yesterday. Bill Ackman uh, kind of credited for that move in, in bond prices yesterday. Big surge higher in bond prices. Uh, apparently, he closed out his big bond short position yesterday, um, saying that yields have pretty much reached their, their, their terminal peak. So again, that caused a lot of buying in the bond market yesterday. But here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Got a lot of emails yesterday, and we talked, we touched on this yesterday morning. Uh, here on Before the Bell and, you know, got a lot of email questions yesterday because of this break of the 200-day moving average by the markets. And, you know, was this, you know, the question, of course, is this the clear signal that we need to reduce risk and the next big leg lower is coming for the market? Uh, be careful with that. As I said yesterday, in particular, you can get kind of whipsawed into these things uh, very quickly if you're not careful. So, you know, working on a, a break of a moving average is risky at first. If you just take that initial break and start to sell positions like, oh, we broke this moving average, that tends to lead to these whipsaw effects where all of a sudden you kind of get caught on the wrong side of the trade, actually being caught out of the trade when it reverses. And a good, a good example of this was back in March of this year when we had the regional bank crisis. Now, you'll remember at that time we had a lot of bad news coming out. Banks were failing. Clearly, a lot of pressure on the markets and, and certainly reason to be risk averse at that point. A lot of you know throwback to the financial crisis when banks were failing. Uh, so we had this big break of the 200-day moving average at that point, and certainly seemed to be good reason to sell stocks and get out of the markets. But then of course, the Federal Reserve launched their uh, uh, program to bail out those banks, and the markets then immediately reversed, got back above the 200-day moving average, and then we had that big rise after that. Now, I'm not saying we're gonna have the same type of rise here, but the point is this is that when you get these initial breaks of the 200-day moving average, be a little cautious about the initial break. As I said yesterday, you want a bit of confirmation here. Yesterday, we had a, you know, we kind of had a rally yesterday in intraday, certainly saw some buying. Market was unable to get back above that 200-day moving average, tried to do it, wasn't able to do it. So that's a little bit concerning this morning though. Futures are pointing higher, so we're gonna make another attempt to get back above that 200-day moving average. If the market's able to do that, then 
that's fine and the markets can do whatever they're going to do next. If we you know, continue to kind of slop around and close below this 200-day moving average at the end of the week on Friday, if we're below this average, then that's something maybe to be a little bit more concerned about. But also, as I said yesterday, we're also at a very low level. We're oversold on a short-term basis. So again, that suggests there's limited downside, even with this break of the 200-day moving average, there's probably limited downside to the markets near term. Good bit of support right around 4,200, 4,150. So again, not a lot of downside risk. And particularly with the MACD as oversold as it is right now, again, another reason there's probably not a lot of downside. So if you're expecting another big leg down between now and the end of the year, we're probably not gonna see that simply because the markets are very oversold. Sentiment is very negative, positioning is weak right now, uh, big short position on the markets. And again, you now have buybacks starting back uh, beginning, in no, uh, beginning this week really, but picking up in November. So again, there's probably more risk of an upside move right now in the markets, that pain trade higher into the end of the year. Now, once we get to 2024, all bets are off, but for now, the risk is to the upside, at least technically speaking. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, lots of stuff to get into. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, so talking a little bit about, you know, where the markets are. And again, as we were just talking about, you know, from a technical perspective right now, markets are fairly decently oversold here. Uh, wrestling with the 200-day moving average. And again, this has gotten a lot of bearish commentary out, um, you know, in the markets the last couple of days. It's like, oh my gosh, we broke support and means markets are going lower. Be just, you know, my point is to be very careful with that. And the risk is, and again, I'm not saying that the markets can't go lower, so you certainly have to be aware of that risk, but the risk to that view right now is that we've already had a fairly long streak of selling in the markets really ever since August. Uh, and so you've had this kind of grinding decline in assets. And, and as we've talked about before, it's always kind of you think about markets as being a group of buyers and sellers and because that's what makes a market. But eventually, the reason, so let me back that up. The reason that prices go lower is because buyers are unwilling to pay the current price that sellers are offering. That's why there's what's called a bid and an offer on a stock every time you want to buy something or sell something. There's a bid and an offer. That's the market. So the sellers are going, I'm offering my shares at $2, and the buyers are bidding the shares at a buck ninety. So the seller has to agree to sell their shares at $1.90. So that brings the price down in the markets. That's why prices decline. You know, if, if all prices were stagnant, right? If, if, if there's, you know, a, a kind of a buyer and a seller, and they're always meet at the same price. And this is the, the flaw in the theory of passive investing. Then prices would never move. They wouldn't go up or down because everybody's just meeting at the same price. And if everybody's just passively investing and nobody's selling anything and there's nobody buying anything, we're all just sitting on assets, 
prices don't move. The reason prices go up or down is because there's a bid and an offer. It's a market, and this is what moves stock prices. So when you have a period, either buying or selling, and this is why we call them buying stampedes or selling stampedes, then sellers are going, okay, I'll sell at a lower price. Okay, I'll sell at a lower price. Okay, I'll sell at a lower price. And the buyers are going, and the buyers just consistently bid a lower price than what's being offered. Like, oh, you, you were at a dollar ninety, well, I'll bid a dollar eighty. Okay, you're a dollar eighty, I'll do a dollar seventy. You you did a dollar seventy, okay, I'll do dollar sixty. Now, at some point though, the sellers go enough, right? I'm not going to sell any lower price. That's as low as I'm going to get. I'm just not going to sell at this point. So you've exhausted the sellers. And so the buyers that want to buy then have to start bidding up the price to get a seller to say, okay, well, you know, it's not as low as it was. It's better price, so I'll sell it now. And then that begins the chain of, of higher prices because so, then the sellers go, well, somebody just bought that at a, you know, somebody just bought that at $1.50, so I'm going to offer it out at $1.60. Oh, somebody bought $1.60? Okay, I'll offer $1.70. Prices go back up. But that's the way the markets work. That's a little bit simplistic explanation, but you get the point. It's a market. There's bids and there's offers. We've had a very long stretch of just continual downward pressure on market prices. And eventually you're going to exhaust those sellers. And this is why even in a bear market and, and or even during a corrective market like we had in 2022, the markets didn't just go straight down for a year. They were bouncing all the way down. Even though you were in a, in a corrective market and there was lots of bad news, you still had these fairly strong rallies in the markets based on hope that the Fed was going to cut rates or hope this was going to happen or hope that was going to happen. That's what drives markets, right? So it's all about psychology. So again, this whole idea that, you know, we're going to have just a continued slide into year end. Be careful with that because we've had a very long period, as I said, of exhausting sellers. And so you're going to get to a point here where buyers are going to step in. Now, that's not a permanent, that's not a permanent thing, right? We're not talking about the start of the next great market. We're just talking about a bounce, a reflexive rally that might last a month or two heading into year end. Now, once we get to 2024, kind of a different ballgame. We're going to have to be dealing with lag effects of interest rates and all this other stuff that's going on, lack of liquidity, reversal of monetary policies, et cetera. So again, I have no idea what 2024 looks like, but there's, there are certainly some good reasons to expect between now and year end that you're going to get some better pricing to rebalance your portfolio into. And one thing is, is and again, we just have statistical seasonal probabilities to deal with as well and just... You kind of look at back at over time how how markets react during certain periods, uh, particularly when there's been other catalysts. And, and one of those is, is, you know, when you look at the previous year. So last year we had a negative year. Markets were down about 20 percent by year in. We had the Santa Claus rally going into 2023. Then you had your first five days of the year were positive. Your January return was positive. You had a bit of trouble in February, March, right, because of the whole banking crisis. And then the market rallied, you know, into June, July. So right now the market's up about 10% for the year. 
on the market cap weighted index. Now, if you're buying equal weighted index, you're negative for the year right now. But on a market cap weighted basis, when you have that kind of trifecta of events in the beginning of the year, it historically leads to a positive performance by year end. Now, understand the market's up 10% right now. So if the market does nothing between now and year end, you're still going to prove this out to be positive. The market could de decline 9% between now and the end of the year. And it would still prove out that this was a positive year because the market would still be up 1% for the year on a market cap weighted basis. So it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to rally. It just suggests the year is going to end on a positive footing because you had this, this previous type of, of analysis. Now, if we take a look at pre-election years in particular, and I thought I had this chart with me and I don't this morning, But if you take a look at pre-election years, markets tend to trade pretty weak in September, August, September, October. And in fact, we kind of wrote an article back um, at the end of September talking about October weakness, that the markets could remain weak through the month of October. And that, October, that, that weakness tends to end in October, kind of slop around for the month of October, as we've been doing. And then markets begin to improve in November and December. So there's this support. Again, just statistically speaking, you have this support. But there's also this, this sentiment right now. So sentiment in the market is extremely negative. If you take a look at the number of bullish investors and the bearish investors, right, and you take a, a sum of that, get an, um, you know, subtract the bulls from the bears, and you look for a net bullish, how many people are bullish overall, and that number's actually declined. Now, this is, you know, the chart you're looking at uh, on, you know, if you're watching our YouTube channel right now, if you're driving, just continue to drive, I'll explain. The number of, the, the net bullish number of investors has dropped to levels that normally in a rising market, you're going to get a rally, right? There's, in other words, sentiment has become sufficiently negative. If we take a look at technical indicators, um, they are, 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 are decently oversold on, on numerous bases, whether it's stochastics or, you know, Williams percent R, RSI. You know, there's numerous indicators, technical indicators that suggest the market is oversold short term. In other words, we've exhausted the sellers near term. Historically, when you have an oversold market and you have very negative sentiment, you typically tend to get a rally. Furthermore, you've got a very, very large short position that's been building up over the last few months in the markets. So if the market starts to rally, those shorts have to cover, which adds additional kind of fuel to the fire, so to speak, for additional legs higher. So you've got a big short position on equities. You have a big short position on bonds. So there's a ton of fuel sitting out there for rallies in both asset classes at some point. When those assets have to, when those in those hedge funds and and you know speculators have to cover because prices are rising, they're gonna have to they'll, they'll cover very quickly. But it's like you know throwing gasoline onto a fire. 
it just causes it to explode higher because of all that short covering. But that's that's sitting out there. So it's additional fuel for a rally. And, and, and there's a lot of it. Again, you know, fairly decent, you know, decently large short positions. Again, as I said, you know, just from a purely technical basis, indicators across the board are, are, are fairly oversold here. So, again, just, you know, you've exhausted sellers. You've got a big short position. You've got negative sentiment. All of these tend to suggest that you're going to get some type of at least short-term rally. And, again, we're not talking about the next – I just want to be clear. We're not talking about the next great bull market, right? We're not dismissing all the risks that are sitting out there, and there's, there's a lot of risk. Right. We have a lot of risk sitting out there right now because of interest rates, because of inflation, because of, you know, uh, weaker economic growth, because of all the other things that are happening. We have to be aware and attentive to those issues. And we're, we're you know, but that doesn't preclude the market from rallying before the negative impacts of those other things, those other concerns can come home to roost. So again, just be aware of that. You know, just you know, I just want you to be cautious about getting too bearish potentially at the wrong time here. You'll have a better opportunity to if you if you want to sell and you want to rebalance, you want to raise cash, which we'll be doing as well. There's going to be a better opportunity to do that likely over the next 2 months than doing it today. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So talk a little bit about risk as we head into next year. You've got to be really careful with the economic data. I'm writing an article on this for next Friday. But, you know, a lot of commentary out right now about, you know, stronger economic data in the third quarter. The third quarter is going to print this great economic data, so there's no risk of recession, and you don't need to worry about these things. And I'll just read to you a, a headline, or I should a headline, but a paragraph from Yahoo Finance this morning. Um, While dire warnings make good headlines, as usual, it's pretty easy to find evidence to support the, the, the opposite. Consider the outlook for consumer spending as outlined by David Kelly, chief global strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, in a note to investors. He said, quote, despite a low savings rate, and I want you to think about this for just a moment, okay? Despite a low savings rate, slow demographics, depressed confidence, a crippled housing market, rising interest rates, and growing credit problems, we estimate that American consumers increased their inflation-adjusted spending by more than 4% in the fourth quarter. Okay. Pretty decent. So that obviously means no risk of recession because the consumer drives the economy, right? The problem, though, is that retail sales don't tell you much in hindsight. 
And give you a good example of this. I've got this chart up from like I'm again. If you're driving, don't worry about it. I'll explain it. But this is a chart of advanced retail sales. Now this is nominal retail sales. What's important to understand about retail sales is that as a recession indicator, they're not great. So first of all, let me explain something really quick. When you look at data and you overlay it and you say, okay, here's the data, here's recessions, it, was it a good indicator? Unless you have the unadjusted data going back in history, you can't answer that question. Because the data that you look at now and it says, oh, well, look, you know, right here at this point, this data series went super negative, and that was the start of the recession. Well, see, you don't know that. You only know that in hindsight because, again, the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is the, the organization that actually dates the start of the, of the recession, doesn't do that till well after, 6 to 12 months after the recession started. So at the moment, when that data went negative, there was no evidence of a recession. Right? Nobody was talking about a recession. Everything was fine. More importantly, that data series, whatever you were looking at, has been heavily revised over time. We go back one year after the, the data series is published. We go back and we revise it. We revise it three years later. We revise it five years later. It's constantly getting revised as we go back in history and look at the data. But... Even on an, a revised and NBER a recession announcement, we can look at nominal retail sales. In 2000, and look, they, retail sales only go back to 1994, so we don't have a long track record of, of retail sales data. But we have to work with what we have to work with at the moment. But you'll see going into 1999, 2000, retail sales were strong. Every quarter, every month, retail sales were fine. Never went negative. In 2008, they didn't go negative until you were halfway through the recession in 2008. Consumers kept spending. I'm going to explain to you why in a second. In 2020, they were really strong until we shut down the economy and said you can't go out and spend any money. Just like now, retail sales are rising, but they are down sharply from their peak following all that stimulus that we threw in the economy. So yeah, consumers are still spending right now, but it's barely nominal. If we flip this over and take a look at Inflation adjusted. So now we're going to go back to David Kelly's point about inflation adjusted retail sales. So if we go back and we look at inflation adjusted. So this is the same retail sales data, just now adjusted for inflation. We see a little bit better picture as it relates to economic growth or recessions. So now when we look at the data on an inflation adjusted basis, a little different picture emerges Retail sales on an inflation-adjusted basis were flat to negative heading into 
the recession in 2000. They were flat to negative. Actually, uh, they were flat. They are actually positive on an inflation-adjusted basis because inflation was very low back in 2007. But you actually had positive retail sales on an inflation-adjusted basis until just the beginning of the start of the recession. So, again, then, then retail sales started going negative as the economy really started to slip into a recession. Retail sales on an inflation-adjusted basis were really strong, actually, all through the recession in 2020, they didn't really go negative until after the recession was over and you had a big drop in retail sales. That was really where the, the effect of the shutdown kind of caught in. Retail sales currently have been negative for the last several months, which is probably more indicative of a recessionary indicator than not. So, uh, again, you know, this idea that retail sales are very strong and we because we look at nominal sales so when they report retail sales and they say oh retail sales were up 0.7 percent you know last month whatever it is that's great all that means is is that on an inflation adjusted basis people are buying the same amount of stuff they're just having to pay more for it because again we measure this in dollars not volume so again you've always got to look at the the real side of this and say, okay, what's really going on now? Also understand that right now when we're looking at retail sales, we're looking at those on a, on, a, on a lagging basis. And that data is going to get adjusted over the next year. And we're going to come back and find out that retail sales weren't that strong in September. They were actually negative. They weren't up 0.7. Whatever. When, whenever the National Bureau of Economic Research eventually dates the recession, whenever it is, whether it's the fourth quarter of this year or the fourth quarter of next year, whenever the, Fed, whenever the National Bureau of Economic Research dates that recession, that will come along, that will be dated after the revisions to all of this data. So we will get the revisions to this data. Then the MBR is going to come back and say, oh, the recession actually started in Q1 of 2024. But we're not going to know that until Q4 of 2024. And this is the problem with recession dating. This is the problem with you know what, looking at one series of economic data only one way. Employment data, right? Employment data is really strong. Yeah, it's mostly government hiring. We've had a lot of government jobs being put into, to, into the employment numbers. Is the government really hiring that many people? We don't know. But we've had a very large surge in government hiring. That is a normally a pre-recessionary indicator. It means the rest of the economy is not hiring that many people, but government's just filling the gap. Government jobs are easy to, easy to hire for. The rest of the jobs that are getting hired are all kind of low-wage paying, leisure, hospitality, retail type jobs. We're not seeing a lot of high-end jobs getting put out there. So again, that's also kind of a pre-recessionary type warning. Again, stuff that's not going to show up until next year, but stuff that's certainly on the radar. So, but you know, the, the important thing is is that when you're looking at, you know, somebody that says. American consumers are doing just fine. They're really not. 
if they have a low savings rate, if they're tapping into credit card debt, if they are having trouble making ends meet because of rising interest costs, they can't afford to buy cars because the car prices are too high, they're not doing well. And there is a, there is a breaking point now. And, and psychologically, Americans are funny creatures. Now, logically, we would expect that, you know, if consumers said, man, I'm really kind of getting to a financial bind, I need to start just really cutting back here at home and, and, and saving money. That's the logical thought process of what Americans should do. But they don't do that. Instead, Americans are kind of funny because they kind of get to this point of like, I can't make ends meet. Well, just screw it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm toast anyway. I'm just going to go spend a bunch of money I don't have. So they go run up credit cards and they, they buy a bunch of stuff they just can't afford because they know they're about to you know, get hung out to dry. And so we kind of do the opposite. So we see these surges of spending just before the recession sets in. That's not uncommon. And so this increase in consumer spending, retail spending in Q3, could very well be a recessionary signal of those consumers just kind of throwing in the towel and going, I'm done. I'm just going to go buy a bunch of stuff because at least I'll have my stuff when the bill collector comes. All right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So this morning, um, Actually, today, just in general, just a, a host of earnings out. Like I said earlier this morning, we've got uh, today is Google, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, General Electric, General Motors, Raytheon Technologies, Snap, Spotify, Teladoc, Texas Instruments, Verizon, Visa, 3M, and the, the list goes on. It's um, every day in our daily market commentary, we have a little chart of kind of an earnings calendar, and the calendar was so long I had to cut it off <laughs> to, to get it on. There's just so many earnings coming out today of companies that are a billion or more in market cap value. So, uh, you know, lots of the large cap stocks all reporting earnings today. Tomorrow is going to be heavy. Uh, tomorrow you have Meta, ADP, Boeing, eBay, uh, Hilton, IBM, Mattel, O'Reilly Auto Parts, ServiceNow, T-Mobile, so again, just we are we are now in the midst of it. Just going to be a a deluge of earnings reports and commentary and comments over the next couple of days that that are going to move markets one one direction or the other. Uh, so far, <clears throat> companies that have been missing earnings are getting punished pretty badly. Um, 
companies that are beating earnings are not getting rewarded that much. They're up a little bit. Um, that's because of kind of uncertainty in the markets right now in particular. But uh, again, we've lowered estimates a, a large amount. So we've had a very big decline in earnings estimates for the qu third quarter. So we're going to have a high beat rate. We're going to wind up at, you know, probably 80%-ish in terms of a beat rate by the time we get there. So again, don't, don't be surprised. Um, economic data today, we've got the U.S. Um, manufacturing PMI from S&P. Uh, this is the October preliminary expected to come in at 49.5, down from 49.8 previously. The U.S. Services PMI preliminary at 49.9 versus 51, uh, 50.1 previously. And we continue to see this. Um, you know, we, we continue to, to hear about these reports of strong retail spending, strong employment. But, you know, we're not seeing really a result of that being reflected in the services indexes or the manufacturing indexes. They have improved a little bit over the course of the last couple of months, which is not surprising. Things just don't go straight down. You get, you know, kind of, you know, points where people need to buy stuff, right? They can hold off buying stuff for so long, but eventually they just have to restock things. And same thing goes for manufacturers and service companies. They just run out of inventory or whatever it is. They have to do some restocking. So you get these little bounces of activity along the way. But the trend is clearly negative. But again, that really kind of belies some of this other data that we get in, like retail sales being so strong, employment being so strong. Those don't really jive. You really can't have strong retail sales, but weak PMI and services indexes. That I mean, the retail, that's where retailers are spending their money. They're spending it on services. So if they're out there spending money, on a gangbuster basis, then services should be booming, right? It shouldn't be near contraction. And if services are doing well, then people should be manufacturing stuff to supply those services companies, right? They got to have inventory to sell, whatever it is. So why aren't manufacturing indexes booming? So again, there's just this bunch of dichotomy within the economy that you've kind of got to sort through. And this is why it's so difficult to... Pick a side and say, oh, we're definitely having a recession. We're definitely not. We're going to have a recession next quarter. And there's really no evidence of that. There's a lot of momentum in the economic data that we're still dealing with coming off all the pandemic stimulus that's got to still work its way through the system. That's why this lag effect is taking so much longer to catch up. It's still coming, but it's taking so much longer to get there than we would have expected otherwise. But again, we continue to see, um, you know, the, this data being on the weak side. Richmond uh, Fed Manufacturing Index is coming in today as, as well. That's been very weak also. So again, just the, the data doesn't jive in a lot of cases. And so I want you to be really careful when you read a headline. This is the whole point of today's conversation is whether it's retail sales or whether it's employment data, you have to dig past the headline. And unfortunately, a lot of the media doesn't do that for you because they're just, oh, employment's strong, so the, the economy's strong and everything's fine and there's no risk of recession. That's what they say every time before we have a recession. The media has never called a recession in advance because data tends to be strong 
just until you have the recession. In fact, you know, do you realize that going into every recession in history, with the exception of only one or two times, economic growth has always been positive prior to the recession. And sometimes it's been, and the majority of the time, seven out of 10 of the last recessions, GDP has been growing at 2% or stronger before the onset of the recession, the next quarter. So you've got like 2% economic growth in the next quarter, boom, you're in a recession. Now, again, you didn't know that until much later. Good example, as I you know reiterate to you all the time, is December of 2007, the economy is growing at 2%. In December of 2008, we find out that the economy was in a recession in December of 07, a year earlier. Now, what good did that do you? Didn't do you any good. Ben Bernanke, it's a Goldilocks economy, soft landing, everything is fine. Economic growth is strong. The consumer is, is, is spending like crazy. They're doing fantastic. Sound familiar? Saw the same thing in, in 2000, going into the dot-com crash. Everything is fine. Soft landing, it's a, it's a Goldilocks economy, soft landing. Every single time you have these same stories prior to the onset. Now, I'm not saying the recession is going to start tomorrow. Okay, don't walk away from the show this morning and say, well, Lance said a recession is starting tomorrow. Lance isn't saying that. What I am saying is, is that you're not going to know from the economic data when the recession starts because the data is always positive prior to the onset of a recession. It's always a soft landing scenario. It's always a Goldilocks economy. It's always different this time just before it isn't. Yield curves are inverted. Clearly a sign of recession. No, it's not till it uninverts. And we're getting close to that, by the way. But the countdown for a recession doesn't start until the, the yield curves uninvert. In other words, the 10-year interest rate is higher than the two-year interest rate. And that hasn't happened yet. The two-year rate's still higher. Now, when that yield curve uninverts, that's when you start the six- to nine-month countdown to the recession. That puts us sometime middle of next year. But again, we're not even going to know that until later after, after the fact. Now, could it happen sooner? Absolutely. There is no telling when these things all collide. But what we do know is, is that higher interest rates, slow economic growth, student loan repayments, or extracting consumer spending, we know all those things. And we know there's a lag effect to those things. We know that higher inflation is a lag effect on the consumer. So we know these things are eventually going to play catch up. We know these eventually things are going to happen. But the problem as an investor is saying, okay, I'm out of the market. I'm going to be all in money market, whatever it is. And again, there's no big deal with that right now because you're getting 5% on your, on your money being in money market. No problem with that. But the market can make you 20% before the recession sets in. See, and that's the problem. And so what always happens is, and we saw this last year, you know, last year we had everybody piling into treasuries because – Interest rates were going up, and we're going to have this big decline in the market in, in this year. And it didn't manifest itself. The markets ran up, you know, 15% by September. And everybody was selling their, their bonds and their money markets to get back into stocks. So 
this is the problem, right? It's all about psychology. And this is why we always talk so much, and I spend so much time with you talking about investor psychology, investor behaviors, the things that we do. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes. Mike makes mistakes. Danny makes We all make mistakes. We're all human, right? We all have emotional, you know, emotional things that we deal with. We try to correct those fairly quickly. We spend a lot of time researching and analyzing and, you know, looking at economic data and financial data and all this other stuff to try to make the best decisions, but we're still prone to error, just like everybody is. But the thing we all have to battle is the emotional side of it. And so when you feel like you have to buy something, that's when you take a pause. When you feel like you've got to sell stuff, that's when you take a pause. Because generally when you have those more extreme emotions, that's typically at the point in time that you want to start doing the opposite. And that's the hardest thing to do. It's, it's hard to sell at the tops. So that's when we want to buy. It's hard to buy at the bottoms. So that's when we want to sell. But those often turn out to be the best times to go against the herd, to go against those gut emotions. It's a hard thing to do, right? But it often turns out best given time. And that's the, that's the big that's the big thing. You have to give investments time to work because our view has become so short-sighted now that, well, if we buy something, it doesn't immediately go up. Well, then, you know, I got to sell it. It's not investing. That's gambling. So we have to keep our views right. We need to keep our emotions in check. And that's why we spend so much time talking to you about it to help make better decisions long term all right that wraps up the show for the day i will be back with you tomorrow of course for wednesday's edition we'll talk about the earnings today from google and microsoft and what that uh, impact it has the market futures pointing up about 160 on the dow right now uh, so we'll see how this market plays out can we get back above that 200 day moving average that's the big question we'll talk about it tomorrow on the next edition of the real investment show get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com for today's article on the pain trade higher into the end of the year it's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.